This episode is brought to you by Smart Food Popcorn. Some decisions aren't the best, like skipping ahead in your favorite podcast. Think of all the banter you'll miss, the lore in the making. Luckily, Smart Food Popcorn is a no-brainer. Deliciously tasty and available in a variety of fun flavors. It's a smart decision every time. Smart Food. Add smart. To learn more, visit smartfood.com. Hi everyone, it's Lee Salisbury here with your Monday edition of Soap from the Box, the TV podcast where I go behind the scenes of some of the biggest shows on your small screen. Remember, Pop from the Box, the spin-off show, was back on Friday with Melody from Blazing Squad. Richie Neville, the week before that, you've got Lucy Fallon, Jacqueline Josser, James Redmond, all recent episodes to listen to. Today is a very special one. Enjoy. My guest today joins the elite few of being, I think, a certified national treasure and one of my favourite actresses. My love was cemented when Little Voice came out and she played Sadie, a part she was nominated for for a Laurence Olivier Award for Best Actress in a Supporting Role in the Theatre Production. It was a film I'm talking about. But then I got to work with her when she played the formidable Aunt Babe in EastEnders, joining with the might that was Danny Dyer. She brightened up the Queen Vic in a dark way and has light littered, lit up many people's rooms with unforgettable roles in Bergerac, Doctor Who, Midsummer Murders. I mean, the list is endless. Recently, she's played a supporting role in one of the best TV shows ever made, Ted Lasso. It's a total honour to welcome the fabulous Annette Badland. Hello, Annette. Hello, I don't recognise myself. Oh, wow. I mean, you're probably, uh, along with Sue uh, Johnson, researching you, I kind of gave up because there's so much. <laughs> We've just been around a while, that's all. Been around a while, <laughs> so much. So I thought what we'd do today is, um, I normally start with soap, but I thought we'll go through my favourites because we would need a 10-hour podcast to go through all of your work. And what I tried, <laughs> and this will be... Because you've been around for a while in the business, this might be a bit tough for you. We're going to whiz through some of my favourites. We'll stop and talk about a few. But can you remember who you played? That's the question, Annette. Oh, probably not. So uh, we'll <laughs> skip theatre for now. We'll come back. We'll start with TV, what the podcast is about. Um, your first role was in 1975 in The Naked Civil Servant, where you were actually yeah. unnamed. Actually, you were just a tap dancing pupil. Um, yeah. How how let's quickly talk about that. I mean, what that your first TV production? How old were you at the time? Oh, I don't know. If it was seventy five, I was twenty five. Twenty five. Uh, so. Yeah, um, and I really was more interested in theatre to begin with. But uh, that was, I mean, it was Jack Gold directing, and John John Hurt is just oh, no, beautiful. Wow. Yeah. Um, you know, was a wonderful, wonderful actor and a lovely man, and. Um, we got on very well and giggled. And he, Quentin Crisp in the story, used to learn to tap dance in the morning and teach someone else in the afternoon to, to earn money. Oh, um, brilliant. And, <laughs> and how was so it? Because obviously theatre was your love. How was it the first kind of transition to television? Did you, because, I mean, we talk about this quite a lot on the podcast. Obviously theatre, you've got that uh, instant connection with the audience. You know, you get to play it differently if you want, kind of every time you do it. Whereas TV is very fast, furious, and it's laid down. And there we go. You know, did you find it very different? Yeah. 
yes, I, I mean, I hadn't, I went to East 15, so we did no teletraining whatsoever. We were meant to go off, you know, and start our own theatres in, in, you know, barns and, you know, <laughs> back of, the back of a horse and cart. Um, but because I, I suppose, because my scenes were only with John and it was very much contained, um, it wasn't as terrifying as it might have been. Not a story of mine, but Neil Dudgeon did tell me uh, the other week that when he first did a telly, he went to the catering van and asked how much he should pay for his lunch. <laughs> oh, wow. How brilliant. No, that's a really wonderful story because you don't know anything. We weren't taught about telly i mean that's a basic that's getting food in your face but oh you no know. But that's the exciting thing i mean when i started directing <laughs> i was directing already not in drama you know you'd, you'd go down pizza express if you were lucky when i first saw a catering van i was in heaven i can believe a three-course yes. meal yes <laughs> and yes. some places you do have to pay not it's quite rare i think casualty used to pay i think Oh, do you? Um, well, n- these days, probably I would think, yes. yeah, you will be paying everywhere. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So let's let's skip they... let's skip on to Bergerac, nineteen eighty one to nineteen eighty four. Again, I used to love Bergerac. Um, that was kind of, I, I suppose, your first was that your first series regularly because you're in series one yeah. to three from the beginning. Different, a different, yeah. obviously, as we know, very different guesting in a show when you then start to become part of the furniture. I suppose. What made you kind of change in that direction and think, right, I'm going to stay somewhere. Yeah, well, I, I, um, it got tricky uh, as things went on because I was being offered nice things that clashed with it. But um, initially, of course, I wanted to, it was my teaching ground. You know, it's where I did learn about telly and, um, you know, persistent day after day and bureau des étrangers. It's yes. a beige charge. Yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, I le- learned some of the technique there. And I like John and Sean, you know, the people I was working with and um, Robert Banks Stewart, who was the producer, then a wonderful um, Scots producer. Um, just it was fantastic the first year i didn't get to jersey well i did i got to rock out for about two days to (laughs) ride a bike down a push bike down a hill and then we decanted ourselves to jersey all the time and used a disused (laughs) cinema as the studio oh really oh wow yeah yeah we were we started off in ealing oh right okay well the infamous ealing studios well which must be amazing itself Yes, it was. And it was still the old building. So, you know, rooms with ensuite bathrooms and, you know, that um, you could fantasize about being, you know, in the old black and white movies. And how was it back, you know, that we're talking 1981 now? I mean, I know only directing drama in this day and age where it's literally, you know, online run. Was it, but was this where you would have kind of producer? I mean, I love the stories of, you know, some of the older cast from Corrie, where you had a week's producer rehearsals and stuff. Was it still quite slow paced back then? No, that wasn't. That was. Oh, um, really? That was fast and Pretty much the same. Yeah, pretty much the same as it is now. Um, No, but I, the Acton Hilton, you know, the the BBC rehearsal rooms, um, you used to go and when I was in things like Great Expectations, or you would then rehearse for a week and and have a and and sitcoms i remember doing um you know you go in the lift and there was dick Emery and john gilgood and then three tiller girls wow. and you <laughs> how fantastic i know i mean i remember working at television center and i used to love that 
that buzz of kind of oh. you never knew who you were bumping so you'd have jennifer saunders and music guests it was amazing and um um uh, when was it you became kind of I mean obviously fame's changed so much and I don't really want to chat about fame but when was it you started was was it Bergerac that you started kind of really your face was being recognized a lot you know when when, what was it that kind of broke you to the public that you started kind of going around the supermarket and people went oh it's Charlotte from Bergerac (laughs) yes I guess it has to be because if some if you're in people's living rooms, you know, you know, you do a long. I can't remember how many eps we did, but it feels more than six um, in my memory. So if you're turning up in people's homes frequently, they do know you know you as the character. Though yes. I must say, um, we worked together on EastEnders, but uh, that was the first time on EastEnders that people actually spoke to me as my character. Oh, really? You know, I mean, that's the power of freak- EastEnders, yeah. actually, isn't it? It's quite freaky. Yes, that. it is, certainly. And I learned not to go out when schools were coming out because you'd get on a tube and there would be three classrooms full of people. And they do not do their homework. They watch EastEnders. <laughs> yes, yeah, no, yeah, that is what they do. They all, they all pile on and they're going, oh, babe, you know, and there's no use pretending you're reading your book or you've got your earpods in it's uh it's, it's also, just it's totally- also the job i think i've done where everyone has a right to kind of tell you they don't like the show you know yeah. so very much you get yeah. in a cab and we used to get cabs on um you know emmerdale work cabs and they say oh by the way i, I, I hate emmerdale and you go oh, right lovely thanks you know what do you say to that you know thank you very much i know a woman came up to me this isn't the same but a woman came up to me the other day and said didn't you used to be in black and white <laughs> oh my god that's amazing and i said no i think i've always been in color i've always I've been in color in black white. <laughs> it's a very weird thing that actually because i do watch black and white movies and there is something that your mind plays tricks on you that you can't actually believe that that was all uh done in color let's carry on let's carry on because there's so much to go through i'm going to write we won't okay. talk about these we'll just see if you remember some of the names so great expectations who did you play in great expectations oh i can't remember flopson Oh, yes, well done. Yes. 1981. We've got a couple of nurses here. We've got Vera in pictures. We've got Piggy in lace. Um, uh, lace two. What what one should I pick up on here? Well, Hail and Pace. That so I suppose that was 1988. Again, a very change, you know, for comedy. What 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 was that's a total change doing something like Hail and Pace, isn't it? To doing kind of dramas. Oh yeah. Um, you know, going in and doing sketches. I did. Uh, Fry and Laurie as well, and Dick Emery, and um, oh, I can't remember what else. But uh, yes, very, very different. But the kind of you get led by their ability. You yes. with that, and it was a learning curve again. Um, but they were so good at what they were doing um, that you just. You went in and did your acting bit and was guided by them. And um... It's kind of their world, isn't it? I worked with French and Saunders uh, on Comic Relief and I was quite taken, like you said, it's always a learning curve. I was quite taken aback about just how, not how much power and control they had. Of course they did, it's their thing, but it was a very much, you know, them, them, amazing watching them work. You know, like they knew every, oh, yes. every, every, what the camera angle should be. They knew everything, you know, it's quite incredible. You don't realise that actually. No, and they... Uh, it's such a tough world, isn't it? I mean, I think stand-up is so hard, you know, to be alone in front of an audience with your own material is a really tough call. And I think it makes them more resilient. And they do know all of these things because they've had to work 
very hard to make things happen um and they've been on their own on those stages um i worked with dawn in theater and you know she was brilliant absolutely brilliant um but yes utterly in command knowing absolutely whether as you know i'm an emotional little ball and uh but they have a very clear eye on themselves yes and yes they um they they know the effect they know how they work together you know the the rhythms the <laughs> the emotional interaction that they have their set sort of an audience will expect them to behave in particular ways you know yeah and then when you go in for guests i mean the next one i'll bring up is 2.4 children which is one of my favorite sitcoms ever <laughs> and uh i mean let's touch on sitcoms again because like you said you rehearsed but again very different way of working that with a live studio or very theater-esque with a live studio audience i mean how does yeah. it compare to theater when you're doing a tv show with an audience is it the same kind of feeling Oh, yes, they really feed you. And, of course, you have uh, a stand-up often, you know, a warm-up act before the show and you come on and it's like coming in front of the curtain and introducing yourself and then you go back to um, wait to do your part. And it's... It's a, it's different again because you are fed by the audience and they are very keen to support you, but you can't really play to it in the same way as you would on stage um, because the camera wouldn't take that. It no, yes, yeah, yeah. Want to yeah. know? So you just have to sort of stand, you know, use that as the bedrock in your stomach um that you're working off you know you know it's working which is what happens in theater they're either laughing and you've done your job or they're crying and you've done your job or they're not and you haven't you haven't you know, done your job you've missed you've missed it tonight yes because you saying that that's for people listening i mean there is that because i've when I've auditioned actors for TV and they've done a lot of theatre and, and often they come in with quite big performances, obviously. And for people listening, that is a difference, isn't it? With theatre, it's a much bigger performance because, you know, there's not a close-up of your face. So that must be quite weird in a second when you, when you have to bring it down, but you're kind of on a stage. Yes. So you've got all that energy inside you, but you can't let rip you just can't do that you just have to i guess it's like um having something delicious in your stomach and it's just bubbling away there so you're kind of sitting on that you know you're using that energy and having that support from them but you can't you have to play with i mean on stage you're playing with the person if you're a good actor you're playing with the person opposite you so that is entirely the same yeah. So it's a very strange um dynamic, I guess. Um, but you just have to keep it down for the camera, I guess. That's you can't in any way get large or they'll just go, Oh no, that's just yeah, terrible. Yeah. And then 2.4 Children, I mean, like many of the shows you've done, I mean, that was humongous at the time. I mean, it was kind of in the twenties millions, I think. What's it like? Mm-hmm joining a guest i mean sue johnson said on the podcast that what's quite funny is that even someone of her stature like you she always kind of still feels like oh god i don't i shouldn't be here you know it's in that imposter syndrome if you go into a big show as a guest you know is it do you still get quite nervous oh yes i'm always nervous all the time i'm always (laughs) (laughs) oh yes i'm always very anxious um And what the weirdest thing is, like I said, to see probably people are very anxious around you. I mean, I was quite nervous going, oh, my God, it's in that Badlands. It's kind of it's weird, isn't it? Where you're standing there being quite nervous as well about the whole thing. Yes. 
<laughs> well, that's how we um, we survive, I guess. We're on a we're on kind of a knife edge all the time. I, there aren't many actors I know who, you know, are blasé about it all, and you're always faced with something you don't expect, and you worry about your own work and have you done enough homework and background to things and um you know, know. What, what, why why do we do it <laughs> i know it's mad isn't well, it? i think because... i think a lot of it is we always want to impress as well that's the thing so you want to impress and prove <laughs> yourself isn't it so that's why you get nervous which is a good energy i suppose because you always want to turn in your best work to everyone Yes, and you are always challenging yourself, I think, which is great because you really know you're alive. Um, but then if it's theatre, they applaud, and that's the drug, isn't it? They they approved. They, yes. So that's the huge adrenaline drug that you go, oh, I want more of this. Yes, please. I better try again. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. But for me, it's nev- I'm never good enough. Um you know, and I always feel like uh, a bit like Sue, you know, I've got to earn my right to be there. Um, it's never taken for granted that I should be in the room um, because there are many others, you know, who could equally be there. So is, you're there very someone, is there someone actually, Annette, in your, because I remember Glynis Barber said she'd always go to auditions and it was, um, oh, I can't remember the name of the lady. She was the one in the Nest Cafe ads, which isn't the best way to remember her. Sharon something, but she would always be at auditions and she'd be like, oh, they were always, was there some, is <laughs> someone who's kind of always been at, you know, early on in auditions that, you know, you were always kind of put together with you were like, oh no, so-and-so's here. <laughs> no, not that, but um, Imogen Bain used to say I was the bane of her life, unfortunately. Oh really? Gone. So she had. <laughs> oh God, you went, you got all the jobs I went up for. <laughs> so it's I'm sure funny. she had a little voodoo doll. <laughs> yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, let's go. Um, let's go down to EastEnders. I mean, there's so much in between. I mean, I can't. I literally can't believe the body of work you've done. But because we're soaked in the box, we will talk about EastEnders. And obviously, you came in on, on episode four seven nine six. To be precise, in two thousand and fourteen, <laughs> um, the maternal aunt of Shirley Carter and Tina Carter. Obviously, huge entrance for you guys because obviously Danny Dyer joined which was huge for EastEnders and I think because everyone had always wanted Danny in EastEnders um and Timothy West of course who was the unrequited love of uh Aunt Bay. Yeah. again what a I mean it immense that I got to work with him as well um was it a big decision because obviously you've done bits in Corrie you've done Casualty and stuff but obviously this was a big you know a big part do you is it something you would you thought about? Because obviously East, we all know EastEnders is kind of everyone knows about it, even if they don't watch it. It's quite a, a big decision, I think, yeah. into something yes. like that. Yes, it is. I'd worked with Dominic Treadwell Collins on a, a little Christmas film. Sky were doing um, these uh, comedic Christmas crackers. And Stephen Fry had written one, and I did his. And then... Um, Sheridan Smith had written one, and it was that one that Dominic produced. And he said, oh, I'll always look for an Annette Badland shape part. And then he got exec producer at EastEnders, so he asked me to go in and we talked, and he said, oh, it'll, you know, we could make her Dickensian. And, um, you know, it was... But I have... I, I took a book with me, and I had, in big letters, good... He talked about me maybe being a pearly queen. Oh, right. Um, 
Well, she didn't turn out that way, did she? Um, and I think it was a scene quite early on with Tim uh, where he was watching telly and I went in and decided I'd take the remote control from him and uh, turn the television off, told him a few things, then turned the telly back on and put it, the control back on the sofa arm and left. And I think they thought, Oh, she can be nasty. <laughs> oh, so that's when that happened. So it wasn't a, it wasn't from the outset then that that was the plan. Not really. We were going to have her do good things, you know, that she was. Um, I mean, maybe Dominic was cheating, but I don't know. But uh, no, I, I have in big letters in my book, good. And certainly the Pearly Queen thing. Yes, um, that's it. See, that's that. That's what I do love about so. There's that. That's a room for such character development, isn't there? Which you don't have oh, in really anything else. You know, it's in stone. And what I found was because you'd get scripts, and I'd think she wouldn't do it. And then I used to think, come on, it's like life. Today yes. I might make a decision that is absolutely brilliant, or it could be something that in three years' time I regret so much and might take vengeance or whatever you know I just had to think of it as life and not because Tim and I talked about it too that we were we were theatre and we had come from series so we were used to a beginning middle and end and there is no end no you, no you no yeah you know, in a play, you've got an arc and you think, oh, well, I'm hitting that then and I need to be there by this and the end is this. Um, and you have none of those uh, little uh, stepping stones in the soap. You are in that moment doing what you're doing, doing what, then. I, I think John Middleton, who again has been on, who played Ashley in Emmerdale, actually was lucky to have that for two years because they told him he was going to, the cuff, uh, the uh, character was going to get dementia and in the end would die. And he said it was actually unique because he had two years knowing the whole art, yeah. you know, which was quite very rare in soap that that. But yeah. Um, and again, I mean, EastEnders, what was it like coming in with? I mean, was part of the reason because, you know, Timothy West has signed up, Danny Dyer, did you? I mean, it must have been quite nice knowing you were going in with, you know, a, a good, a good group that were going to cause quite a commotion. Yeah. And we did get on as a family. Oh, you did. It was fun. <laughs> terribly important in soap, though, because you don't mingle a great deal. You know, it's uh, you are with your family um, more than you are with your family. Yes. Um, and uh, so that group is terribly important to you. It becomes pretty much your life. You know, you kind of you're you're there an awful lot, as you know, and. Uh, uh, they they'll always be with me. You know, we keep in touch. It was Danny's birthday the other day, so we had a little bit exchange. <laughs> yeah, I used to say for as a director, what was funny because you moved around the families. You know, so you'd have your yes. cast saying you'd have your, and you'd always look forward to different families, not naming any names, obviously, more than others. Um, and I mean, I used to dread Vic days until the Carters took over, just because the Vic, obviously, as we know, is quite laborious to film. You know, it's a uh, yeah. Very yeah. small set and you have to keep moving cameras. And, you know, what I hate as a director is suddenly the writer's got so-and-so appears and says this. You're like, oh, no, I've just mapped the whole scene. <laughs> Someone else has got to appear from another door. But uh, it did used to be fun in there. But, I mean, long days in that in, in the Vic, wasn't it? And when you were busy in yeah. soap and you're going home, I mean, did you find it quite, you know, relentless? Oh, well, it wasn't so much that. It was uh, I'm quite conscientious. So... 
Um, I live in um, on the Essex borders, so I would go around the M25, but oh. I would allow twice as much time at half past five in the morning um, to get there. And then I was a little road rage person on the way home because you, <laughs> you want to get home. <laughs> You carry all this stuff and you, there's no release and you want to get home and there's another blinking, you know, um, accident or the the hold up. And I don't want to sit and watch people picking their noses or eating their apple or doing whatever they're doing in their car. I want to get home now. I want to get home. So I used to drive at the end of the M25. I used to dr- always go through part of Epping Forest and put the sun visors up and wind the windows down and just breathe. Because it is there always, as you know, the thing of in soaps them saying, oh, let's Greek it up if they're looking for storylines. So they're not easy days. It's not, for the most part, light material. It's, you know, you're, it can, you can have jokey days and everything, but you've always got an undercurrent in your head of where you are with other characters and what you're planning to do yourself. So you've got all of this that you're carrying. Yeah, and, you... of course, Sorry, shot way out of sequence as well. Yes, I was going to say. In the pub, in the square, in that, you know, uh, just... Um, doing a variety of of episodes so um there's a lot going on and like you said i mean it is all this is why i keep pushing on this all respect to soap actors and people unless they knew wouldn't realize you know you're out of sequence and also i used to say to some actors if they join you know do always you really do need to look after your own journey because the writers have got you know a cast of 70 and you know always remember in the pub even if you're not saying anything that who you shouldn't be standing next to you know because yeah. so much like you said <laughs> you know you could have had affairs with four and killed killed two sons you know so you and then you're a nice person so you, you have to kind of keep those journeys in your own head otherwise i think people lose faith and obviously the formidable late uh june brown was just, I was over, you know, overcome by how amazing she was with that. You know, I learned so much from her. She yes. said which tea set to use for which, per- I mean, down to the, which a lot of people now would probably find, you know, that, oh, she's being difficult. It was never being, it was just that love of the character and she just knew everything. Yes. And you are the one, in, as you say, you have to be, sorry, there's a car horn going out. Oh, that's oh. all right. Don't worry. It's proper life like um, EastEnders, like we're in Albert Square. <laughs> well, I don't live that far away, you see. No, you yeah, someone's just, someone's just run someone over, they probably. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it must have been the three-wheeler standing outside. I yeah. Know. But um, no, it, yeah, it's down to you, isn't it, to really yes. stay in command of that character. And it's hard often on the floor with the director and shooting one, you know, and you're going, well, no, look, I did this. And, you know, and you have to shoot the material that's there, but it can be tricky, you know, to, to find a way through, to find that trail that satisfies both the writers and, you know, the show and what you feel as a character. And as you've got, older... I... Oh, sorry, Annette, go on. Uh, no, you go on. I was saying, as you've got older in the business, I mean, I know Dom, um, who was the boss, as we said, he brought you in, wanted to kind of rejuvenate the older characters in the in the square as well. Obviously, there was some older characters. As you've got older, have you? I mean, you've been very lucky in your career and you work constantly, but we've had this serious discussion quite a few times on here, how it's still very much different for men in the industry as than for women, that suddenly there's a, you know, Sue Johnson again, famously said on this podcast that, you know, she, she worked with Sean Bean 
she last time she worked with him was as his lover and then suddenly she was his mother you know but it was fine <laughs> for him but you know yeah. she's gone through that do you find that in 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 have you found that in your journey that it you know that still women are kind of like in that there's a there's a mid midsection where they're kind of not used i think it's terrible you know when a woman hits 40 you know that i think for those actresses 40 to 60 uh, who've been leads in series you know, top of their game, and suddenly they're not required anymore. They don't yeah. fit into the until the they box. look enough to play a mum. Yeah, or a nan. And yeah. uh, for me, I let my hair go white during uh, COVID because I wondered what was under there, and thought, oh well, this is a great opportunity. And then liked the colour and decided to keep it. And I asked my agent, and I was on Midsummer at the time, and they said that was fine with them and all of that but now I do find and I know I'm you know five years old or whatever but uh I only I get a lot now of granny's old lady <laughs> inst- and you think come on Helen Mirren you know where what about all yeah this? yeah 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 what about the solicitors the you know barristers the business women the you know yeah, yeah. Um, many women and many jobs i suppose with helen yeah. i suppose the difference is which we know this industry is about as well is because she brings in the money you know because she's got a certain yeah. you know le- she's on that higher level which but it shouldn't make a difference in telly either should it so it's 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 kind of mad but let's move on um to go to i mean um the amazing Little Voice, which we have to mention. I mean, one of the best films I've ever seen. Um, and obviously, you'd already done the theatre show, which I did, didn't see. I would have loved to have seen. But, I mean, just th- the most immense performances. Michael Caine, Jane Horrocks. You worked alongside, obviously, all of them. And Brenda Blethyn, who's one of my favourite actresses in the world as well. I mean, yeah. what a cast. It must have been. <laughs> you know, what? I mean, what a film. I mean, Jim must... Broadbent. Jim Broadbent. I mean, oh, my God. And, I mean, Jane Horrocks, obviously, everyone blows me away. She obviously that just blew everyone away. But, I mean, when oh. you're working on that, it does. It must feel, like, so special, surely, mustn't it? Do you know you're making – I mean, you must – You must, the play had already been successful, obviously. But, you know, was it kind of like, wow, we know we're onto something special here? Uh, we knew we got on. We knew the chemistry was good, and I think that's – Is key. Important. Yeah. That's that's key, and um, I had loved the thing. Jane and I were the only two from the play, and I, Mark Herman, who directed it, didn't really understand Sadie May. So, for me, the play was a better experience than the film. Although I right. loved being with Brenda, and you know, Jane and I were mates anyway. And then I remember skipping around the room when I heard Michael Caine was in going to be in it but um you know pete was wonderful as well oh, pete possibly yeah oh he, he's one of the and i have he, to say he's the one i was on a train once you know and i was already a director but i had to do a fanboy and go up to him and say oh my god you're absolutely incredible. <laughs> uh yeah just amazing yeah so both experiences were wonderful were different because, of course, when we were doing the play, we didn't know if it would be a success or not. Or, I mean, Jim Cartwright's writing is extraordinary because it's seeming reality, but it's poetry. It's wonderful stuff. Um, I mean, I think I had about 12 OKs and two sentences, you know, it just... But what I loved, certainly with the play was that uh, when I first appeared they'd laugh at me and by the end of the play they were laughing with me and to have that journey 
um, is is fantastic for an actor. And what's you know, it like just... watching other actors when you're in stuff? I mean, because Brenda's performance obviously is just incredible. I'm very un uh... I'd seen her in anything, you know, so it was very, um, you know, wow, I can't believe this is Brenda Blethyn, which obviously is a role of an actor. But I mean, is it is it? Is it just as exciting when you see another actor kind of take on something that's they playing it so amazing? Do you know what I mean? It must be quite exciting. Oh, it's thrilling. To it's thrilling. Everything grows, you know, just everything. Um, your response to it, you know, what they're doing, your response to it. It's um, phenomenal. It's just a great kind of very energised, exciting place to be. And she was terrific with me um yeah it was a very nice it was a great it was a great partnership that actually because it's it kind of in yeah. a way slightly reminds me of um uh oh there's a i don't know whether you've seen a sitcom a julia davis sitcom and i can't remember the name of it but it's ruth from um gavin and stacy and they have Julian and her oh. have kind of that similar relationship. And I always see that relationship replicated quite a few times in different ways. But um, and then obviously the film was a huge hit, which must again be did, did that kind of open? Because obviously big, big films can suddenly, you know, Hugh Grant's, you know, or what was it? Emma Thompson, I think, said, you know, she obviously did a couple of the worst films she said she ever did. But the money was amazing to go to Hollywood and do nine months or whatever it was. But did uh, <laughs> did suddenly doors open after having such a big movie? Uh, yeah, well, I was um, courted by Hollywood a bit and invited out and agents and all of that. But at the time, my mother was very poorly, so I just didn't want to leave England, basically. Um, so I didn't, and here I am. <laughs> well, you're out but... still, which is good. Hollywood didn't get you. And we all know the stories <laughs> of Hollywood. We don't want to be in Hollywood. And then, well, let's let's um, move with the latest uh, one you've done. Well, not that, you know, you've got lots coming on. Uh, but uh, Ted Lasso, I mean, which, again, was a... I've only just been binge-watched, actually, because I immediately thought football, I'm not going to like it. And obviously, ah. oh, it's way beyond. Obviously, that it's absolutely. I mean, I th- think think the first series for me is still the best. But I mean, what a again? Did you get that script? I mean, was that an offer? Do you still audition for things like that? No, I auditioned. I went and read. Uh, uh, actually, got invited into a room, which we don't always do anymore. No, um, no, the- only tapes now. Yeah. Yeah, Theo Park, who's brilliant, and uh, read with her and heard pretty quickly that they would like me. And Jason once said to me, I wanted you because um, you look into people's eyes. But I think that says more about Jason than me. I think we had a whole cast of people who look into your eye and don't, you know, I suppose that meant there's no funny business. It's truthful. It's on the line. Yes. Yeah. You know, you mean what you're saying or, you know, you're very direct with the other actor and you're not playing games, which is always what, you know, people do. But I think what I I found with this series, one of my best things about it, I think, is there's a lot of what could be stereotypical characters. I think like the girlfriend and just the level of actor, the level of characterization is incredible. You know, Hannah Waddington's character could have been very one note, I suppose, you know, but I mean, just it's everyone's so clever with how they play stuff. Uh, I mean, I mean, Hannah Waddington, it just amazed me i mean in a part like that that you kind of kind of see what that part's gonna be you know you can kind of almost yes. the arc out but then you're thrown by performance along the way just how, how she plays stuff you know and everyone all of you in it you know that's what amazed me about it actually 
Yeah, well, we're all uh, rich. Human beings are not one thing, are they? And I think that's also um, what they captured. We're all afraid inside or, you know, uh, hate ourselves or whatever, but we present something else externally. So we're um, a whole collection of people in one body. And uh, uh, I think the writing and Hannah... um, made absolutely kind of full throttle delight from it. You know, the the trifle is got cream and it's got strawberries and it's got a good solid base of spot. You know, it's got a whole lot of stuff. And also Jason was very good at responding to people. Um, and we did have a writer's room. Um, so everybody was pitching in, but Jason watched and listened and changed things. And then what I was quite amazed about as well, knowing London very well, because obviously it was set around um, the football club of Richmond, which is that, tr- if they actually got a football club? I don't know. No, I don't know. AFC. That's terrible. I don't think there, isn't an, FC, there isn't an FC Richmond, no, but... Um... It's changed Richmond enormously, the pub and everything. Um, because they're so amazing. I mean, it, obviously, because obviously it was a big budget and, you know, they would have used, you know, the top range lenses and stuff. But it did look, it kind of looked magical um, around yeah. there. Because, I mean, I know what pubs look like. Even the pub looked quite gorgeous. <laughs> I mean, not <laughs> saying it, it wasn't a gorgeous pub. Yeah, but, you know, it kind yeah. of, just everything looked great. And what was it like being, I mean... Those pub scenes were always quite, you know, there were some massive scenes with all the games going on, obviously. Uh, Pandemonium. Pandemonium. Well, we had a brilliant lot of essays who uh, ten were, most of them came back for the whole three years. Um, so it was extraordinary. We'd work through, with, we actually didn't film in the pub. We could use the outside of the pub. Oh, right, we, okay. They, they built an absolute replica in the studio, unlike the Vic, there was more room. They could expand it a bit, so the proportions oh, were better for the cameraman. Ah, uh, that's why uh, then. That's yeah. why. It so, yeah. Because <laughs> I thought, but, wow, it um, does. Yeah. But it's a rugby pub, so it's working all the time. So we couldn't use in there. Um, so we had our little set. Um, it's like the, you know, the changing room and Hannah's office. They were all sets and Jason's flat, um, Ted's flat. Um, so we had those stock sets built and we could just invade them. But we'd work our way. We had the big screen and everything, but we'd have a little white cross sellotaped you know a bit of get white gaffer stuck in a cross and we so we knew where to look and we'd get talked through if it was a match and they go and this is the penalty oh, right, okay. it, you know danny rojas is coming up and you react now we'd all scream and shout or boo or do whatever we were doing <laughs> amazing um, and, and was it but, different working with kind of obviously jason again was the you know the the brains i suppose behind a lot of that and um what, what I mean, I'm only saying this because he's done a lot of Hollywood and stuff. Is there a different way of working, do you think, between? Yes, very much so. Really? Um, well, yeah, because, well, certainly on Ted, um, 
you have the director and then certainly if you're working with Jason, he has such a huge brain. And I mean, he was producing it, leading it, Amazing. writing something. They had a writer's room. Um, so it wasn't solely him, but he'd be rewriting. And you could tell when you were working with him, he was completely concentrated on you. But there was like his in his eyes, he was thinking that light isn't in the right place. Right. That, OK, yeah. That, that line could be better. And if I moved over here, you could just see he could not stop working, directing as well and and be putting as much as he possibly could into it. Um, so you had the director, then you had Jason, and then often the producer would come. You do some takes and the producer would say, that was great, but could you try it like this now? Yes. Um, well, you know you what know, a funny uh, story is when I did, um, when I started EastEnders and Elaine Cassidy, he's done a lot of work and uh she uh, was in Hollywood and she actually said to me, Lee, soap will probably be the most control you have as a director because actually she had just done a show with Susan Sarandon and she said you wouldn't believe the level of, you know, producer involvement yeah. that kind of you've got a kind of battle going on with the director and producer a lot of the time as well, which I was like, oh, wow, because on soap you're kind of left to your own devices, really. Yes. Yeah, absolutely true. Yeah. Um, and. Uh, and Jason might say, "Oh, couldn't we do this one time? I did something, and it was it was what he'd written." And he said, "Oh, but could you try it?" So, and the director came on, who was more established, and said, "She got it great, and that's the right thing, and we don't need to do right okay, this, other, right. this yeah. other version, you know." But another director wouldn't have been able to do that. No, but then yeah. you've got all those choices. Um, I'm on something called Big Boys, and the director on that, Jim Art. It's uh, Jack Rook who um, does stand up and does act, and it's his life story, really. And again, like Ted, it's um, very moving and very funny. And Jack is gay, and his father died when he was 14, and he was scared to come out to his family. So it's this, you know, this lad's growth, him going to university. And then, of course, he's. His first, re, you know, his closest mate is very straight, <laughs> getting up to all sorts of stuff at university. Oh, that sounds great. Uh, so that's what you're filming yeah, at the moment. Um, I finished that about a month ago, I guess. Right, okay. But Jim Archer on that will shoot a lot of, you know, he'll say, yeah, could you try it this way now and, and that's a luxury you as you know you don't you don't get. have no I mean no. on soap I always found as a director you would I mean I'd never I mean I've heard stories where people have just lived with takes I'd try never to live with the take if I wasn't happy but you know there were a lot of scenes where you'd want to give a note to one but then you'd have to do the whole scene you know like you couldn't do yes. as much as you wanted to because that's where you relied on actors and actually like bigging you up so much and even my um husband paul was like it wasn't a you know it was a supporting role in ted lasso but actually so memorable because again you're just so brilliant i mean it, that could have been a non-existent part really um yeah i said i was interviewing today paul said oh my god the landlady from ted lasso which is quite <laughs> amazing actually because you know like it's not a lead role so it's it's all no. to you again but when you make every little part come alive i mean I, we talked about this before quickly in I, i'm guessing you always kind of knew because i remember advice someone gave to an actress friend of mine was you kind of need to know your place early on you know don't go for leading lady roles if you know you're not going to get the Julia Roberts role and you know I'm guessing you kind of always knew you were a character actress as well really rather that you know you know you yeah. have to know your niche yeah and they're often more interesting you know it was more interesting work yeah. you know and I have I've played Titania and I've 
you know, um, Isabella in Measure for Measure and all those things. But uh, I guess I, I was a fat girl from Birmingham. Uh, I didn't think anyone would really want me to be doing uh, lead roles. Well, I don't think anything's so... changed. Again, that's the state of our industry in a way. I always <laughs> said, you know, when the, if Cinderella's played by a fat girl, then I'll think we're moving forward in pantomime, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's those kind of things that need to be done. Um, but I mean, I could yeah. talk to you for ages because literally there is so much I could say. So I mean, we, we can't. But because um, theatre, you've done so much. I mean, there's so much going on. I was just going to bring up because there's something coming up that I know, uh, which is really good cause on Monday, the 21st of August, which will probably be in a couple of days when this comes out, everyone. Uh, there's a cast of you doing an evening of monologues at the Union Theatre in London to raise money for yeah. Tower N- um, RNLI, which is which sounds great. Yes, yes, and lifeboats. Who Which doesn't is... want to support lifeboats, really? And how's that? Have you started? Are you? I mean, well, by the time this goes out, it'll be on, so you would have rehearsed it. But I'm guessing. It, I mean, it must be quite nice. I mean, I used to love, um, obviously, Alan's monologues. The monologues are kind of they're fabulous. They must be great to do. Oh yeah, because you'd get a whole story in a paragraph, don't you? Yeah, if they're well written. Yeah, I must choose mine. <laughs> Oh, God, right. Uh, <laughs> the, well, um, it's been a bit complicated of late uh, life, but uh, I'm pleased that's one thing. I was meant to be on holiday, but I'm not. So it does mean I can do this, which is terrific. But I, I have ideas. I did think that one of my monologues might be one of Sadie's speeches from uh, Little Voice, which was, okay. And that might just be it. That might That's be one. it. That's the, yeah. <laughs> Quick, short and sweet. There we go. People know People know exactly who it was and what the line was. <laughs> and is there anyone, I mean, who have you worked with uh, finally? You know, who, who were your inspirations as an actress growing up? And have you managed to, because you work with so many people, have you managed to work with them? Because I know Suze was Maggie Smith and then she did Downton and she kind of said she was in pieces really, you know, but then, <laughs> you know, and Maggie was as scary as we all, you know, a lot of people know she can be. And uh, yeah, kind of even made Sue even more scared. But I mean, it's fabulous. But Sue said, you know, very scary to work with your icon. And then she is kind of this huge powerhouse. Uh, is there anyone yeah. you work with that been like that? You kind of been like, oh, my God, I've always wanted to work with you. Um, no, there wasn't no. anyone. Well, I mean, people like, as I say, Michael yeah. Caine, people, yes. you know, Alfie for me was just a pivotal movie. So that was extraordinary. That something that in my teenage years had meant so much and was like nothing else we'd seen. Um, and then there you are on set with him. Been, yeah. And um, I I don't think there's anyone. I mean, I just, I was inspired by people like Eric Porter from the Foresight Saga, and, right, you know, yeah. but saw him in Shakespeare. And and there wasn't a woman, I guess, that scared me, Judy. Sadly, I've never worked with Judy Dench. Oh, um, I was... Have you worked with Maggie Smith? <laughs> you must. No. No. I worked with her. I worked with her son, Chris Larkin. Well, both right, of Right, okay. Um, uh, Julie Waters? But, no. Oh, right. Well, we need to line up Julie? all of you. Yes. Yes, she's another one I absolutely... Uh, and, he- oh. and Helen, have you worked with Helen Mirren? No. Oh, we need to do... I'm not, I'm not... They were just... She was just a bit ahead of me. She was sort of gone. No, I haven't. Oh, no. We need to, we need Arrange to... this, Lee. Do something Yes, about... an all-woman movie. You know, all of our biggest... 
actresses. <laughs> Jay, put Jane and Brenda in as well. And have you done Vera? Actually, yes. you haven't done. Have you, you haven't guested in Vera yet. No, I haven't. I think I was asked, and I couldn't. Once, and I couldn't do it. And uh, so that, and they've not come back round again. Oh, well, we need. So she'll have to keep going. Yeah, come on, Brenda. Till I get there. Well, listen, it's been so amazing to have you on. And we literally could because everyone just, I mean, go on the internet. Look how much Annette's done. I'm going to go back and watch some of the work I didn't know you'd done. I mean, you know, when I had Leslie Dunlop on, I didn't know she was in The Elephant Man and she'd never told me that. It was, it's incredible. But um, it's incredible to speak to you because I really respect you as an actress. And you're also one of the loveliest and funnest Thank people you. to work with. Thank you very much. That's very kind. And uh, we will hopefully see each other again soon. But it's been lovely. Yes, we'll have to do this again, darling. Yes, so you'll be the reoccurring. We'll be like, you'll be part 10 and we we'll still wouldn't have finished the CV. <laughs> so lovely to speak to you, Annette. Take care. And Julie, all the very best to you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.